Welcome, I'm Moshe Ferber. And I am Ariel Munafon. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast, a podcast about security architecture. Good morning. Today we are in uh, Tel Aviv, another podcast of uh, Silver Lining. Uh, good morning, Moshe. Good morning. Pleasure good. to be here. Good morning, Tal. How good. are you? I'm okay. Good morning. Nice to have you here. Thank you um, for having me. Moshe. Okay, so this morning we are hosting uh, Tal Arad, which is, first of all, is a, an old friend. We just calculated that over 13 or 14 years we know each other. We're getting old. Yeah, <laughs> we are definitely getting old. Uh, when I last saw you, you had much more hair. I know. I was much more pretty then. <laughs> <laughs> Same goes for me. So, uh, but uh, I, I know Tal uh, working for Partner, one of the largest uh, Israeli uh, telecom uh, companies. But in the last decade, I think, uh, Tal has relocated to uh, Amsterdam. He's been the CISO for Canon, which is pretty impressive. He was responsible for... Uh, uh, operations across uh, Europe and been traveling a lot and in the last couple of years I've been doing uh, security for Siva one of the largest logistics operations uh, company um, and which actually have not I don't know anything about this industry so uh, tell tell us a little bit about yourself and about Siva and uh, about uh, I'm not sure even that I'm pronouncing it correctly and about doing security for such a giant and Okay, so uh, as you said, the last 11 years I've been living in the Netherlands. Uh, in just, uh, beginning was indeed in Amsterdam when I was a happy couple. And then when the kids were born, we were forced to move to suburbia. So <laughs> we're now in a nice little house with all the other suburbians. Um, in the first nine years I was working for Canon, I was the information security manager for the EMEA region. Uh, actually came as a result of working there as a consultant for an Israeli company for Comsec, which I think every single person in Israel worked for that company at some point in time. Yeah, it's kind of feeling. It's <laughs> kind of a basic training. Yeah. To <laughs> go for yeah, like a boot camp for security. <laughs> um, so I was working there for nine years and then I started looking for a new challenge because I was there for a long time and you know, kind of wanted something new. I was just looking at uh, LinkedIn one day and I saw that a company called Siva Logistics is looking for, for a CISO. It's like, okay, I never heard about that company. I went, so let's look at it. And you look at their website, it's totally impressive. It's pretty basic. It's pretty old-fashioned. And I never heard about it, as I said. So I went and started talking with them. And then while I'm talking with them, I realized that this is one of the largest logistics companies worldwide. And the reason no one hears anything about them is because they're doing only B2B or B2B2C in some cases. But then I started digging and I found out they have 60,000 employees worldwide across 128 countries. Um, and they make something like nine billion dollars a year and they're not even the biggest in the area so if you look at one of their largest competitors uh, a company called Kuhn Nago which is a German company these guys have 100,000 people and they make over 30 billion dollars every year so it's it's like a, a group of companies no one hears anything about but they're managing a lot of aspects of our life like Amazon for example they move all the cars around like 20% of their business is coming from the automotive industry mm-hmm So I went for an interview with the guy who used to be my boss uh, over there and uh, he said uh, and he told me about the company and then I asked him what do you think about the security maturity of the company and he said uh, I think it's okay because we don't really see any incidents <laughs> which point all of the alarm bells start ringing in my head and, and then I said okay so what size is your security organization and he said it's you <laughs> I said okay what's my budget he said I have like a 30,000 euro somewhere Said, and then I said, Oya Broch, which is in Yiddish, it's like, oh man, that's going to be an interesting job. But 
uh, the guy is the most awesome person I ever worked for, and I just had to try it. So I resigned. Uh, I moved over with a lot of reservations. Mm. I was sitting here in the first day, uh, opening my Outlook. It was completely empty. <laughs> then I called a friend of mine. I said, do me a favor. Send me an email because I have nothing to do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the first, uh, let's say, kind of few months I did an exercise to basically show the company that it needs to change. And what came to my assistance uh, was WannaCry and not Petya, which happened a few months after I joined. Okay. Uh, I have to say that uh, unlike other companies, Siva was not infected and it's not affected because it has the capability to move very fast. So as soon as the mess started with the uh, vulnerabilities that uh, was discovered, we just did an emergency patching. So we patched 5,000 servers and 30,000 workstations in about 36 hours and we kind of we managed it. Mm-hmm. I didn't sleep for a whole week, but uh, we managed it. And everyone was kind of looking at Maersk and at TNT Express and waiting for the hammer to fall on us as well, but it didn't happen. We did, of course, got impacted as a second layer because we are using Maersk quite heavily and uh, TNT Express as well. But we kind of passed through. And at that point, everyone said, you know what, Let, let's do something about our security. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, looking now down the line, almost three years later, now Siva has a quite a mature organization. It's a global organization of security, quite a lot of technologies in place. And the good thing about Siva, it's a company which is very IT-oriented, which is not something you would think looking at the logistics industry. Everyone thinks it's uh, like trucking <laughs> and you know containers moving back and forth. But actually, it's very heavily relying on IT systems because you need to know what you have where at any given point. We talk about millions and millions of items where it needs to move, where it needs to go. And uh, it's o- it, the company is very happy to invest in IT technologies and groundbreaking. So I was actually um, able to bring a lot of new technologies, many of them Israeli startups, which I, uh, I was very happy to work with. And allows you to put an efficient organization quickly and without paying millions and millions of euros in expenditure. So it was quite a, quite a nice uh, quite a nice challenge. B- before Moshe uh, will start the, the start asking the important uh, questions, a little about you. You came to this organization, and what do you did? The, you know, in the first days, uh, it <laughs> <Wow>. shocking. <laughs> <laughs> I think first days I wanted to check what I actually have in terms of security. So what kind of antivirus I have? What kind of firewalls do I have? What kind of policies do I have? And then I think the breaking moment for me was when I went through the security e-learning. I should have mentioned that Siva was actually certified for ISO 27001 a long time before I came. And one of the requirements, of course, is you have an e-learning or a uh, training. So I opened the e-learning, and it's, uh, it's a PowerPoint of two hours with someone narrating the slides. So you kind of open the first slide and go like, Welcome to the security <laughs> training of Siva. It is very important. <laughs> oh, shit. I broke, down, I broke down after 10 minutes, and it's like it's a mandatory training. There's not a single person in the company that actually went through that training and, and just completed it. It's no, no chance. Um, so that was the first bit. And then I basically took a, a security partner, a third party, because I didn't have any resources. And I said, and now I want you to break everything. I want a vulnerability scan, I want a red team, I want a a penetration testing, I want a security view, because I had to prove to the company how bad the situation was. I mean, they knew they had a problem, they didn't know how big the problem was. I feel free talking about it now, because now the situation is completely different. Um, And then I came over and I presented that, it was actually, I remember that day was a remote presentation with my boss, who was the head of global infrastructure, and the CIO, and I presented the initial results. And then there was a moment of silence on the other side, and my goal, and my boss goes like, 
Uh, wait one minute. Seattle just threw himself through the window. He's climbing back up now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but that that was like the starting point where uh, they said, okay, we have to invest in security. And it's not just investing in terms of technology and, and power. It's also completely changing the thing that the way you do things. Like um, one thing that changed over time is the fact that they had a patching cycle, which was on a quarterly basis. But it wasn't just a quarterly basis. You also had a change freeze every November and January. So practically, you would patch things three times a year, mm-hmm. which is like I, I was tearing my. Okay, I didn't have a lot of hair, but <laughs> I was tearing what what was <laughs> remaining. And one of the things that I w- did quite a lot of, of work around was to move them into a monthly patching cycle, which everyone was really terrified of. And we said, let's try it, see what happens. And it took about a year and a half, then we moved into a monthly patching cycle and nothing broke. Mm-hmm. It was okay. And we said, oh, no, that actually works. Let's continue. Yeah. So it was, it was really first moving the logic of why it's needed to the company and then start working gradually towards it. I mean, it was clear that you can't do it in... in too quickly because you're going to start breaking stuff and people will not trust you. So it has to be a very gradual um, uh, journey. But because Siva is so efficient in terms of IT and is such a, has such good people there that can move things along, it was possible to do it in a much shorter time than other companies would be able to do it. Okay. Yeah. So we have a logistic giant, company that is really connected on I, uh, to IT, that is really keen on av- availability because each time the system is down, it means that somebody is not able to, uh, they're not uh, bringing in any money. Somebody is not able to get their shipments. Uh, and this company is usually tr- uh, into traditional IP. They don't like to take risk. And there you are uh, leading the, the new uh, modernization of IT. <coughs> And uh, we decided on this conversation to uh, stick to the software as a service provider and basically talk a little bit about uh, software as a service in the logistic uh, area. Uh, again, software as a service becomes a little bit uh, sectorial. Uh, each sector has its own, uh, uh, I, w- I would say, favorite uh, application. So I guess also in the logistics, this is uh, also happening. And there's a question of uh, choosing between maturing and not maturing providers and evaluating which provider uh, you want to trust. It was basically uh, in the software as a service, you have a big variety. And the second part, we said, okay, let's say you chose already chose the, uh, the cloud provider, things that you need to look for when you're migrating into this provider. So this is basically, uh, I'm uh, defining the conversation here. So tell us a little bit about your experience in SIVA regarding uh, software as a service. And uh, I would say uh, the, the, the question behind the scenes is how do you distinguish between a true provider and non-mature provider? That, uh, I'll let you start with that. Yeah. Um, so a short while after I moved to Siva, I was asked to review a contract between Siva and a new financial SaaS provider, which was basically a procurement system. Um, so basically the system manages all the suppliers and purchase orders, etc. And I start reading the contract. And typically when I read contracts with SaaS providers, I expect them to define quite clearly what they do in terms of security, which standards they adhere to, um, where is the data located, what kind of cycle they do in terms of, uh, of securing your data, patching, penetration testing, etc. And I read the contract and it goes to, normally when, when you read a SaaS contract, it, it can be quite long. It can be like um, the security schedule can be 10, 15 pages long sometimes, depending on how they mature they are. This guy, this company had a paragraph and it starts with the phrase, your data is fully protected and which kind of get me a bit kind of, worried because there's no such thing as your data is fully protected and then it conti- continues with a pix firewall we're talking 2017 
And I'm calling the guys and I said, guys, I think you have a typo. Maybe you copied it from an old uh, contract, but you says you are fully protecting my data by a PIX firewall. And he said, yes, that's, hmm. that's correct. I said, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? Are you using PIX firewalls? Yes. I said, they are out of service for almost 10 years. What? Oh, uh, okay, we'll get you a new firewall. <laughs> we'll put you behind a, Cisco, a, a new Cisco. Okay, and then I started asking, okay, which standard do you adhere to? Um, uh, yes. <laughs> and I said, okay, did you do any kind of security uh, testing around your... I said, yes, we have a CEH. I said, what do you mean you have a CEH? Oh, we have a guy that is, uh, like, he's a network guy, but he likes security, so he did a CEH accreditation, and he's also doing penetration testing. CEH okay. certified ethical, ethical hacker, hacking. Yeah. yeah, which, in my view, at least, is quite a basic uh, accreditation for application security. Mm -hmm. It's not someone I would consider to be um, a mature application security person. Anyway, at this point, it was kind of, uh, I was getting a bit uh, tired with the whole thing, so we forced them uh, to put around... Uh, at least basic infrastructure protection by a proper firewall, etc. And, and I said, I'll come back to you. When I actually have more resources, I'll come back to you to check you properly. Um, two other cases I ran into, we kind of showed me that there is a big problem maturity-wise in terms of uh, logistics SaaS providers. Uh, one of them was a employee reward uh, website that is specializing in logistics companies. So basically it's, you work in a big company, you want to get rewards for employees, you get credits for selling, for doing something nice, and you get all sorts of gadgets. And I get a call one day from one of the IT guys in the US and he said, look, I'm logged into my account for the first time and I can see my password. Hmm. I said, what do you mean you can see your password? I said, when I log into my account details, I can see my password in clear text. I said, okay, that's not good. And I hmm. called, uh, and, and in this case, I didn't even know they're going to start with that uh, service. I called the company and said, what's that? And said, oh, it's, it's a feature. <laughs> I said, okay, you're holding the password in clear text in your database. And you say, it's a feature. I said, yes, because then the supervisor can see the password and can renew it for the person <laughs> if he forgets. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I started looking a bit deeper. You find out that all of their service is based on Windows 2003, IS6, so very outdated technologies, highly vulnerable. And even though the US doesn't have the same privacy regulations as the European Union, it's still something that you don't want to have there. You know, you still want to keep some mm -hmm. sort of reasonable. And the third example, um, one of the leading providers in the logistics world, which again, you wouldn't hear about if you're not working it in that industry, is a company that they provide brokering services. So they basically manage all your um, contacts with the uh, custom services around the world. Because you move a lot across borders and there's tons of regulations. And there's one system that you do everything from there and it's a big SaaS provider. They're a very strange company. They uh, refuse to talk with you, even if you're a very big customer. So if you want any support, they will not talk with you on the phone, only by email. And then again, it's a company that was quite a, an old provider of the company. And one day uh, I get a note from one of the top guys in this area and from the company. And it says, uh, look, I just realized that a lot of the information running between us and them is running over HTTP. And I called the company and said, guys, it's can't, you can't do this on HTTP. You are talking with highly sensitive data. And he said, oh, no problem. We have HTTPS. It's a premium service. <laughs> <laughs> So then that kind of shows me that the um, 
unlike a lot of other mature SaaS providers, we talked about Microsoft, uh, mm-hmm. Salesforce, you know, Google, all these uh, players, which for them, it's, it's not even a discussion. I mean, HTTPS and these kind of things, it's, it's, it's most basic measure. The logistics industry in terms of SaaS is lagging a little bit behind. And the SaaS providers, either they don't know how to do it, or they assume that the companies are not going to ask for it. So they're just saving money. And that's how they maintain their profitability. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting journey, shall we say. Yeah, well, uh, what uh, what really usually happens behind the scenes is that we have a software company. They used to develop software and shipped it to their customer. Now suddenly everybody are telling them you should be as a service. Yeah. So now they have to launch servers, maintain a, a server farm, launch uh, DDoS protection, incident response, and they are not familiar with that. I mean, customers and point and users like logistic company have experience with running software at scale large data centers software company usually don't have it yep. so this is usually what we see unmature uh, companies they have to do all they know is to develop software they have to do uh, now as a service and they usually well they failed in security operations yep. so how uh, how did you you mentioned for one bit uh, the contract which is the, basically the first place to start beginning a company that is mature or not yeah uh, I used to have a presentation that shows bad uh, cloud contract. Uh, I, I gave example for, uh, you can definitely see from a contract if the company is mature or not, they were not willing to take responsibility or they're taking too much responsibility. Fully uh, protected. Fully protected, yes. Uh, can you give us some other tips on uh, how to distinguish between the mature and not mature providers? Yeah, so uh, even before, if, if you get involved, and that's always my advice, that get involved in the phase when they actually choose a provider because then you can stop the disaster before it happens. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's always a challenge with uh, companies that don't know how to position their security organization. So if you get to talk with them beforehand, the first thing I typically ask for is to see if they have any kind of security standards or auditing standards that they adhere to or they do self-attestation. Uh, the most typical ones internationally would be a SOC 1, SOC 2 or ISO 27001, it can be others, but those are the most typical ones. Um, so that's the first step. You ask them whether they have the standards. If they have that standard, it doesn't necessarily mean they have the best security, but they, it means they have very good level of awareness that they need it, and they invested quite a lot of money in actually getting standards, because those are expensive standards. You would pay, if you're lucky, tens of thousands of euros. If you're not lucky, it's going to be in the hundreds of thousands. So the first step is to check whether they have it. And if they have it, then you ask for the reports because the fact that they have it doesn't mean the reports necessarily are positive. And I can just tell you uh, as a a tip, if you're looking at a stock report, ask for the type 2 report. That's the report that doesn't only show which controls they checked, but also whether they were successful or not. It's actually quite easy because then you look for their controls and then you see which exceptions they have. And if they look, if you look at an ISO, ask for the statement of applicability. The statement of applicability is the list of controls that the company said are relevant for the certification and again whether they are effective or not and also ask for the scope of certification because i've run into several companies that say where well, iso 27001 certified and then i ask for the uh, the scope and they said uh, yeah it's like that office somewhere in the corner of the street over there but it has nothing to do with what you're doing mm. When I uh, used to run uh, MSSPs, somebody asked me uh, if my provider supports PCR. So I was, I went to the provider website. There was a nice PCI logo, and I said, "Yes, the, if, yeah, it's okay. Host your credit cards over there. They support PCI." Eventually, I learned that the PCI was only for the billing system, and not where the area where my server was. So I uh, led uh, my customer into doing a mistake. Uh, and yes, this is important. Uh, certification and uh, adhering to a standard is about, uh, uh, it could be for a specific service and you need to check 
if your service, the one that you're going to use, is under the compliant, the right compliance mechanism. Yep. Um, you read security policies. Did you see good ones, bad ones? I try to avoid reading security policies. Uh, if uh, just because I hate policies, you know, <laughs> they are a necessary evil. But uh, yeah, that's something that you want to look for as part of the contract phase. Uh, not necessarily to read the policies, but at least to see that there's a reference for security policy. Uh, and if you don't trust that the company actually have a mature security or some sort of security organization, then you can ask for the security policies. Now, this is something really strange that I've seen several uh, several times. Some companies consider their security policies to be highly sensitive, which I, I can't understand. I have never seen an original security policy. They all look the same. Mm. They all um, copied based from somewhere. Exactly, exactly. Normally from, you know, SANS or something like that. There was one case where a very, I'm talking one of the biggest payroll companies, uh, which I signed co- a contract with, I said, I want to see your policies. I said, no problem, go to our office in Rotterdam. We'll show you the policies there. Rotterdam is about, I don't know, an, an hour drive from where I am. I said, okay, I went to the office, uh, I went to, uh, to the room, they invited me, I thought I'm gonna meet with their security people. Mm-hmm. And then they started the Webex with their security people in the US and showed me on the screen the policies. <laughs> I was really pissed off. I said, guys, you know, we have internet connection in Amsterdam as well, right? We could have done over there. But in most cases, you'll get a copy of the policies or at least the relevant ones. And then you need to read whether the policies are actually practical. And it's more a matter of experience whether you can see that, you know, if they read right or they read like someone wrote it for just for having the policies. Um, But I think more important than that is to look whether they actually do the technical security measures behind and in many cases where I go to a point where they, the company doesn't have the attestation or the ISO standard, and they don't really have a security schedule that makes sense, the next step would be, are you doing any technical checks? Do you have your security people that do penetration testing? Do we hire third parties? Can I see a report? And that's also an interesting uh, discussion because in many cases, the more mature companies will send you a version of their report. So like the executive summary or something like that. Uh, the less mature companies either will not do that or will send you the full report and normally over just email and then you know they send me all the vulnerabilities they have on their systems but that gives you like a good understanding whether not only they are doing the security checks but whether they're fixing them because there was one supplier the one with the reward uh, system I mentioned that they did the penetration testing but they haven't done anything about fixing it for two years so the fact they did the penetration and didn't really help me. And said, okay, when are you fixing it? Oh, it's the next release cycle, 2035. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the next step. And going back to the contract, one other thing you need to be very uh, clear with them is your rights as the, as the customer of what happens when something happens. And something will always happen. Are you able to do an audit as a customer? Are you able to run your own incident response? Do you have e-discovery capabilities? And again, this is not something you will see with the less mature companies. Maybe it's more important to look at that with the big companies, you know, like the Microsoft and the Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, one question is, uh, you maybe, I don't know how many SaaS companies are you working with? Uh, can it be done with all the contracts or is there is something that you do small uh, checks and for other companies? Yeah. There's definitely a different approach. Like if a company like Microsoft, again, and Salesforce, I don't even bother checking them. They're the Microsoft, you know, resistance is futile, et cetera. (laughs) Um, They they have outstanding security. These companies, the main thing there is to check whether that you have bought the right level of service from them. 
because you know there's tools they will not give you by default there are services they will not give you by default so HTTPS. that's the main thing for example <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, the smaller companies definitely you need to be looking more at the contract because these companies typically don't have the same experience of uh, what they need to offer you and you don't need to be ashamed in actually coming and demanding your rights. Mm-hmm. There's always a conflict between security people and the procurement people and the people that actually wants to use the service. I said, come on, stop wasting our time. I said, yeah, but guys, when something goes wrong, you will be sorry. Yeah. So take the time to actually ask for incident response. Get the logs if you need them. Not all of them will give you that, but at least you need to have the option. Uh, forensics capabilities if you need them. So you need to be able, think of the worst case scenario always when you sign these contracts. And the thing is, at least with European companies, with the entry of the GDPR uh, last year, uh, the GDPR is the European Data Protection Act, which is the most stringent privacy act worldwide, has very heavy fines around them. That made the whole cloud thing a bit more complicated. You need to think the worst case scenario is that the European Union is going to knock on your door and says, you've lost personal data, and now you're going to pay me 4% of your global turnover, which is a lot of money. So you need to be able to protect yourself against the worst case scenario, and that's always kind of thought that you need to have in the back of your mind with these kind of contracts. Okay. So uh, choosing cloud provider, first of all, you're saying a mature provider like Microsoft, Salesforce, uh, etc. I don't bother to check. They're being checked enough. They know what they're doing. Um, smaller provider, first of all, verify that they have some kind of standard like ISO 27 or uh, SOC 2. This is like the foundation of the security. I don't get anywhere without understanding that they still have this layer. Uh, Yeah, of course, sometimes you don't need it. In many cases, they won't have that, but that's kind of the first check. Then you Mm -hmm. just kind of see what they do underneath that. Yeah, Yeah. so uh, if they have it, you kind of build on top of it, request the the assessment, see that it matches the scope of the service that you want to use, try to understand behind the scene what it it looks like. If they don't have it, or if you need to do more background checks, you go, you dive uh, more in, and then you have your team coming and do walk-in audit as well, and then you start asking the technical questions. Okay, how do you check the logs? Do you see, have incident response? Disaster recovery? This is this is basically the methodology. Yep. And then you, in the end, you try to give a, some kind of price to their immaturity. Like yep. this, the risk is high, too high, and it's always usually it's a, about comparing, right? So you have to choose between two different capabilities. If, if you're lucky, yeah. yeah. If you're lucky, if you caught this this on the right moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're not lucky, then you kind of talk with them and you try to mature them up during the time. And sometimes I was I was feeling like I'm running my consultancy company, basically helping them mature their security. And I said, you know, I'm I'm happy to help, but I have my own problems. You need to hire someone to do this for you. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, that's about evaluating providers. Can you give us some tips about, okay, now we have the provider, let's move the data, let's uh, uh, migrate to this cloud service. Um, Give us some insights on how to do that properly. So I think the first point, which is again, became very, very um, uh, important since the GDPR, is to check where the data is. Now, there, there's a kind of a wrong impression that if you are sitting in Europe, the data cannot leave Europe ever, ever. That's a wrong assumption. But it does mean that you have to have the right control framework around it. So the first thing you need to check if you have any European uh, customers, and uh, doesn't matter if they sit in Europe, if they're members of the EU, it's enough, uh, is to check where the data is and where it's going. Most of the big providers uh, now run a lot of their data centers in Dublin, so like uh, Amazon and uh, so AWS Europe and uh, Microsoft. So kind of everyone is, is prepared mm-hmm. for that. 
but then sometimes you are going to areas which are less mature in the world, but they have also similar uh, similar um, privacy laws. I, I had a case when the operation I had in Singapore, which has also quite a difficult privacy regulation, mm-hmm. wanted a new payroll provider. Which they were pretty mature, but Singapore has the same regulation that you can't take the data out of Singapore. And then I ask a simple question, um, so where is the data sitting? And they go like, Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Thailand has a much less stringent security policy. Um, so that's the first step. Ask where the data is. And if the data is leaving Europe, then you need to look at the legal angle. Do they have a privacy shield agreement, which is the agreement between the European Union and North America, so the US and Canada? If not, is there any other relevant agreement? Because you can't have the data leaving without the right agreement. The right agreement has a, a lot of problems by itself because you need all security control, etc. So that's the first step. The second step, which I think a lot of security people are missing, is the user experience. You cannot have a cloud service that, uh, sorry, you should not have (laughs) a cloud service which requires you a separate set of credentials and not have a single sign-on of some sort. Because the first thing you do is that you damage the user experience. And that means they're going to have another bad password going around. And they're going to put it on another sticky note. And they're going to you know, put it in the uh, last pass or something like that's going to get hacked at some point. So it's a security mesh, but it's also a user experience. Make it as mm-hmm. seamless as possible to the companies. This is why I like the area for identity management, because it's the only security tools that helps the organization do perform better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beca- so you really need to think about how your user is going to interact with that service. Look at all the channels that go between you and the cloud. So most, most cloud providers, you know, by default, they go over HTTPS. But sometimes you check in the background. Uh, I've, su- I've seen that several times with payroll providers. You find out that they upload uh, a monthly batch job via an FTP server, mm-hmm. which as a user, you will never see. But in the background, there's a lot of other channels which may or may not be secure. Um, so that's one other thing that you need to consider. Um, look at the encryption of your data address. Encryption and motion becoming less and less of a problem now. But encryption address is still quite a big thing that most companies will not give you. The mature companies will. Uh, the less one will not do that. And you need to check whether you also have the option to bring your own key as well. And that's sometimes because of privacy reasons, sometimes because you are holding a lot of sensitive property data on that cloud. Um, so I saw several companies that are refusing to do that because they don't want their R&D information sitting with Microsoft for like that. If you bring your your own key, that problem doesn't exist anymore. Um, then you need to check, of course, uh, how you get your data back. So let's say the the contract ends for whatever reason. Do they destroy the data? How do they destroy the data? How you get it back? How you get a copy? How you make sure the data will be moved seamlessly to the next cloud provider or back into your own hands? It's again something that people don't consider normally because they are... Uh, it's never going to happen. Hmm. It happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, from my experience, a couple of words on it. Uh, first of all, when you get your data back, sometimes the provider will tell you, okay, I'm giving you a data back. I don't give you any metadata. Now, sometimes the data is useless without the metadata. For instance, yeah. f- a folder list. I, uh, they used to have a backup for one of the drives from the, one of the large cloud providers. The backup was uh, didn't have any folder da- uh, data. So you never knew who to, where to assign the uh, the files to the right folder. Um, and second, uh, encryption. You mentioned uh, having the encryption keys with you, but as far as I know, most of the SaaS provider, if even if they say, bring me your own key, they say, bring it, I'm gonna keep it. Yep. Yeah, so, this yeah, so that's, that's a consideration, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you also need that regarding the information you just said you also need to make sure that you still retain rights uh, ownership about your data not just in terms of getting it back but also what happens when you have an investigation mm-hmm. or an e-discovery which happens quite a lot more more than you would uh, want and I remember one case when I was uh, when I was still in Canon Canon moved into BPOS which is was the predecessor of Office 365 it was a horrible service hmm. um and the cloud broker in that case was Orange Business Services. So we had an investigation. First time we had an investigation since uh, we moved into the cloud. And we called uh, Orange and we said, um, and we said we want to have uh, a copy of the data of uh, the logs of the email of this person. And then Orange writes back, and I apologize for any French uh, listeners <laughs> here. We cannot give you the information. <laughs> so what do you mean? That's our data. No, no. According to the French law, we cannot give you the information. Mm. So that led into a very interesting discussion between our legal department and their legal department. And we had to convince them that it's our data. And the fact that they are the cloud broker, they're not even the cloud provider, does not give them any rights on the data. That, that kind of um, caused that every contract I wrote or was involved with in the, in after that was made sure that it's clear to everyone who owns the data and all aspects of the data. It is ours. It is not owned by the cloud provider and you should not lose any rights on your data just because you're hosting it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's a very important part. There was a scare for a long period with the Patriot Act in the US that any time you put information with Amazon or with uh, Microsoft, it will go directly to the federal government. So mm-hmm. it took a few years for that scare to kind of go away. Yeah. Now yeah. with the cloud act, it's back again. Yeah, but, yeah. but now it's a different problem. Yeah. Now it's, at least it's, it's official. You know that they can access the data. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are no, no more gray areas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that's kind of the things I would look at. So make sure that you have, you retain your rights. You can run, that's more for uh, infrastructure as a service. You can run tests if you need to. Uh, that all the channels are covered, that the access control is clear, that you have access to all the logs and you have the e-discovery. Basically, consider the cloud as your own environment. Don't think it is, it's not yours just because it's with someone else. And again, most of the big uh, companies, I think Microsoft did one of the most interesting transitions there. During the BPOS period, they didn't give you any right. They basically said, it's, uh, it's our service, you don't like it, go somewhere else. You know, take it or leave it. Now, basically, when you come over, you have... They give you everything. They give you amazing tools. They give you access to everything. They became much more user-friendly in that terms. Uh, um, so the, the legislation has changed. We see more, we define better the, the difference between the data processor, the custodian, and data owner. So yeah. uh, GDPR said the data is by, owned by the users, even if you're giving it to somebody exactly. else. Exactly. That made it much more easy for them to have the debate. Mm-hmm. So make sure that always you have that relationship with the cloud broker or the cloud provider, that you are still the owner, and you can do whatever is needed on your data. Okay, so the uh, biggest problem with, with software as a service is the fact that there is, there's a big variety in the market. Not all of them mature the same way. We have the large providers that are spending money, they're maturing, they have a nice contract, they have security policies, they know what they're doing. On the other hand, we have software companies who just realize that they need to do something as a service, so they're hosting all the data in some kind of a basement uh, with a server and the PIX firewall uh, uh, protecting it. Yeah. Um, so uh, the challenge, first challenge would be uh, understanding how much your provider is, and you said adhering to, uh, legis- adhering to different standards, checking the security policy, do walk-ins if you are still uh, not, uh, not satisfied with the answers. Do walk-in, make sure that everything they say in the policy is relevant, correct? And, uh, okay, so now that we chose the right... And don't be afraid to audit them as well. Don't be afraid to audit them, yeah, that's the main thing. Yeah. 
and this again, this is a this is a clear cut. Mature providers, you don't have to. I mean, you you can audit. You can audit, and, and you you do that. You definitely mm. do that, but you don't have to be as worried about it because I mean, let's be honest. Microsoft spends more than a billion dollars a year on their security. You will never be able to spend such money as as a normal company. Mm. So I'm not saying don't check them. I'm saying don't be as worried with those kind of companies. Mm-hmm. But oh, okay. the only thing that you say that uh, I, I remember also from you, Moshe, is that uh, choosing the, ra- the right license. Uh, Correct. Yeah. yeah. As, uh, I'm using a lot of Microsoft, but especially if Microsoft is quite evident that when you buy Office 365, for example, if you don't buy the right license, you will have, you will have security, but you will have more basic security. If you buy the full license, you will have, oh my God, so many tools you can play with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the difference between E3 and E5, <laughs> yeah, and we've been... Ability uh, and security suite, is uh, like, yeah. I've been trying to buy that for years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's a big challenge, but again, yeah, you mentioned eDiscover, you don't get it if you don't use the right services, you exactly. don't get in, uh, bring your own keys in Salesforce if you don't use the, uh, the Salesforce uh, shield, uh, yep. I mean... Um, you have to, I, I agree with what you say, you have to talk to the purchasing committee and fo- think about the worst case scenario and see if, uh, uh, and then see if they can, if you need to move to the higher uh, level of service because usually the higher level of service is things that you will need when you're in crisis. Yep. Um, and the crisis will happen, <laughs> always. Always. And so, okay, so this is about choosing your provider. And once you're moving uh, into some kind of uh, provider, make sure, first of all, operational security, you have access to the logs that you're able to do your own incident response, forensics, what kind of tools do you have for forensics? Uh, make sure uh, that you have uh, capabilities such as uh, e-discovery, uh, uh, access to log we mentioned. Make sure that you can take out your data, make sure who's the data owner. I thought those problems are solved, but I see that they're still uh, rising up yeah. uh, with different providers. Yeah, especially outside. The, the EU has become a bit more organized there, but outside the EU, it's a bit of a still a wild, wild west kind of uh, approach. Anything else we missed for this? No, I think that's it more or less. I mean, it's basically just use a lot of, as always with security, use common sense. You know, it's your data, you own it, and don't be afraid to exercise your rights as the data owner. The fact that you're dealing with a huge company like Microsoft or Salesforce or Amazon doesn't mean that you don't have your rights as the owner. And they know that as well today. I mean, they're much more uh, customer-oriented than they used to be. Okay, and this also doesn't mean that you're not responsible for anything. Yeah. You're that, responsible for your data. That is a very important point. You are responsible for your data. Uh, when something bad happens, the regulator is going to knock on your door, not on theirs door. Yeah, exactly. And you have to prove that you made all the right arrangements and yeah. Microsoft and Salesforce is the right provider and you signed the right contract. Yep. If you don't manage to prove all of this, it's your neck on the line. Yep, you're going to get hammered for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, thank you, Tal. Uh, I hope you enjoy Israel uh, while you're still here. Yeah, the weather here is definitely better than the Netherlands, yeah. <laughs> okay, so thank you, Tal. Thank, thank you, you very much for having me. Interesting talk. Thank you for all our listeners and goodbye.